Today's episode highlights include how to obtain a PhD in Germany via the individual track, the German perspective on US and Canadian research, Germany in the 21st century, reunification, immigration, and national identity, and this week's travel suggestion is the German-Polish city of Görlitz. You may already know it from movies. Today's coffee connection is Sven Steinberg, postdoctoral fellow at Queen's University in Canada and one of our dedicated DAD research ambassadors. Have a listen. My name is Sven Steinberg. I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. So normally I would ask, what is your connection to Germany? But you are from Germany. Exactly. So I, I, I want to know a little bit more about that. But since you're also from Germany, I assume you spend a few times at German cafes and maybe also miss something. So if we ideally had this conversation in a German cafe, what would you order? What would I order? It's a good question. After being so long in North America, I would say dark bread, <laughs> <laughs> not cake. And then it depends on where, where we are in Germany, because this is also regional. If we were in my hometown, for example, then I would order something that is called Eierschecke. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a, I, I don't know if there is a word to translate it. So I don't think so, sweet. but can you describe uh, what it is? It's uh, made from eggs and it is, of course, it's sort of a of a cake. Yeah, hard to describe. And it's also it also depends on where you are. It looks different in Freiburg, where I am from in Saxony. And the Eierschecke in Dresden, for example, is entirely different. Mm. So it, it really depends. I know exactly what this is because I grew up in Berlin, but I had <laughs> family that was close to Elsterwerda, so close to Dresden. And that was my grandpa's favorite thing. And just to describe it, maybe a little bit more, it's a little bit like custard, but very fluffy because you've got mm -hmm. the eggs and then there's a the bottom that's kind of like a crumbly cake texture but then depending on where you are and that that was something that my grandpa loved is just like a fruit cake uh, type and then just that egg mixture on top and so you've got like a sweet fluffy mm -hmm. topping yeah. and sometimes there are raisins in there so it really depends speaking of region you just mentioned that you're from the Dresden region in, in that area. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about that just in general, because oftentimes when I speak to researchers, oftentimes they actually don't really go to the former East and, mm. and Dresden. And so I'm actually happy that I get to speak with you because I think it's a great area and it's in some ways a little bit different from others. So why don't you tell me a little bit more? Indeed, I was born in East Germany. I was nine when the wall came down and everything changed entirely. And then I grew up in Saxony and went to school there. I did my studies and my PhD in Dresden at Dresden University. And after that, as a postdoc, I went to the US and then I ended up here in Canada. So this is the, the long story, very short. And I agree. I agree totally with you. So there is a difference between the East and the West in Germany still, I would say. And there is, I would say, not so much knowledge about the East, in, especially in the West. And when I talk to people who traveled through Germany, people who live here in Canada or in the US, it's almost the same. They also didn't go there. They, of course, go to Berlin and to Hamburg and to Munich, and there are a couple of good reasons to do that. But they mostly do not go to Dresden or Leipzig, for example, which is a vibrant, super vibrant city, and also not to the border regions of Poland, to Poland and to the Czech Republic, which is 
super nice and very great nature mountain region you can hike there yeah it's a pity because it's beautiful and especially the cities are full of culture full of museums lots of arts and music and so i would say if you have the chance to you travel through germany definitely go to the east and since you mentioned leipzig i know that for some people living in berlin and they're tired of of everyone coming to mm -hmm. berlin they're now basically saying go to leipzig because yeah. that's really cool and hip and interesting affordable and you don't have that many people there it's just interesting and really vibrant so yeah. i definitely second that so you studied at the university of dresden in addition to, I assume, because you were also familiar with the area, were there other reasons why you decided to go to the university for your undergraduate, but then also for your PhD? The PhD question is pretty much easy to answer. So there were just job opportunities after yeah. I finished my studies. So there was a huge special collaborative research center, the Sonderforschungsbereich, and they had PhD positions. So and the topic was entirely matched with my, my research interests. So there was at least no reason to move on because at that very point I had a good opportunity to, to do my research in Dresden. I started my studies in Dresden, I would say a little bit accidentally. Um, I was always into, or I'm still interested in the connection between regional and local and global contexts. And in Dresden, you have a special focal point on regional history. So spe specifically for Saxony. And that's what I was interested in the most because I think many answers when we think about historical processes and those kind of things, political developments, especially in 20th century, we get a better impression if we look on the regional and local level and see how people made their decisions in situations where they had to make decisions. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the research group and position. That is quite different so the PhD process and how to obtain a PhD can be quite different yes. from the United States. Why don't you talk a little bit more about that? And also, since you have the experience in the United States and also in Canada, how does your experience differ and uh, how did you obtain your PhD? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's quite different. There's also my experience here, at least in, in Canada, when I talk to the PhD students uh, at our department here. There is no closed program, PhD program, master's program. So when you start doing research for your PhD, it depends on what kind of position you, you started. And in my case, I had during my PhD, I think three different jobs in two different of these research centers. Then I was out of academia for two years and I prepared a large exhibition and then I came back. So there is, my case shows there is no, not the one way to obtain a PhD in, in Germany. The, the ways to get there are quite different and mostly they are connected to the question how you are financed. Do you have a fellowship? Are you at an institute and in, uh, at an department of a university and have additionally teaching obligations, for example? This also does something with your research and your, your PhD. So I wouldn't say that at that time when I did my PhD, this was sort of standardized. That changed within the last years. So we also had then later, I already finished my PhD, we had, for example, a, a graduate school. Okay. So this is sort of, or this comes a little bit closer to that what PhDs students know from, from their experience here at North American universities. 
just to go back a little bit, did you still get a Magista or or yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Magista to anyone listening, I sometimes it's hard to really compare it, but if you break it down very easily, it's Magista is essentially you go from undergraduate or lower level classes to upper division classes, and then you don't finish with a bachelor's, but somewhat of the equivalent of a master's degree. And in Germany, you need the master's to then continue with a PhD. So so once you had that Magista, you said you saw the open position and then you applied for it and then did you take any classes or did you basically just work in that group and then while doing that you basically did your research and then wrote on your dissertation how did that process work out for you this was exactly how it was mounted plus additionally i had also not so much teaching obligations i wanted to teach i, I wanted from the very beginning i still love it and um, so i also taught seminars uh, introductory courses it's hard to organize so this research center had a specific topic this was about historiosity, or I don't know what what what, what uh, this a German word. I guess there is no English translation for it. So, and that means this research center had its own focal points, its own conferences and workshops. And at the same time, I had to do my research for my PhD project, and I had this teaching obligation. So it was um, kind of I don't know challenging to manage uh, my own time. And at the end, to get to this goal to defend my PhD thesis and then get the publication out. But I would assume that that really well prepared you for your later positions, right? Yes, yes sure. So at least this is what we learned already when we were students. So there is a new topic coming on. And we were trained to, I don't know, get very fast into it, get something out of it, write something, publish a paper. So that's why this this was kind of a perfect match. And in the end, yeah, it, I still work that way. I had in the winter term, I had a, and the fall term, I had a seminar. At the same time, I prepare a an exhibition here at Queen's University. At the same time, I organized panel on international conferences. So sort of this became my style of working, yes. After you finished your PhD, you went to the United States and mm -hmm. you also had a grant from the German Research Foundation. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about your experience in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was simply great <laughs> because I, I, I have been to the U.S., for some conferences, not so much experience in, in North America. I've never studied there. So I barely knew the country. I didn't know anything about the university system and uh, how to, I don't know, organize research. So this was all new. <laughs> and that was that was simply great. It was So um, before, before you maybe talk a little bit more about details, what made you then decide to apply to a position or, or go to the US? Uh, since you said you didn't really know much about it and hadn't really been to the United States? Yeah, at that, at that point of my career, um, so we, we have in, in Germany, this is also something pretty much different. Um, after the, the dissertation, after, after you, you finished your PhD and you decide to stay in academia and want to become a, a professor, we have this uh, the habilitation. 
So there's a new project coming and uh, my habilitation project is directly connected to the stay in the US. It's a comparison between Central Europe and North America. So I, I needed to go there anyway. But there was also a private component. There was also love because mm -hmm. my wife is in academia as well. And she got a position offer at Caltech in Pasadena. And then so we started talking about it. And then I told her I have no problem to go to the US for a couple of years doing my research for this specific project and yeah you know learn uh, more about North America and the US about the university system network there I have been at UCLA for example so I met uh, many many new people I didn't know before so I knew from the very beginning that this this is something very good and mm -hmm. something with a huge outcome for me and my own personality I'm curious to hear more about that because oftentimes you have a researcher who really, well, applies to position or, or maybe goes to a certain university research center because that's the initial motivation. But for you, it was more the other way around that you mm -hmm. knew you, you wanted to go to the area and then you figured out where to go. So what kind of expectations then did you have before going to the United States? for your postdoctor fellow? What kind of expectations did I have? So I wanted to go to the US, do my research and meet people. I think mm -hmm. those were my expectations. So it was not about, I don't know, I want to meet strategically this person or I want to go strategically to this research institution to network there. This is normally not how I work. Uh, so this comes far more by my interests and then I meet the interesting people this the same way I met for example many people from the Feuchtwanger Memorial Library because part of my my research is about forced migration and there's this well-known writer who, who uh, went into exile uh, first to France and then India to, to the US Leon Feuchtwanger who ended up in Los Angeles so and this is at least again this is how I work so I, I go to these places if I am interested and then I meet the interesting people <laughs> Comparing research in Germany and research in the United States, mm -hmm. also the style of research, maybe the approach, how would you compare that? Or is that pretty much universal and was really the same for you? Um, no, it's not the same. So there are, of course, different academic cultures. This is not so much surprising, I guess. There are, for example, differences how people present their material, how they give a talk. And there are huge differences between publications. So a, a German PhD dissertation published as a book is mostly a much less well-told story than PhD thesis published in the, in the US or North America would be. So there are differences in narration, I would call it. So people tend to tell more stories. It's a little bit more about storytelling than about hard research and, uh, I don't know, here a footnote, there a footnote. This is not how it works, how the story, at least the, 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 the overarching result is told. But in the end, they are comparable, of course, because they are all sciences that follow standards, standards in research, standards in how you formulate your question, how your methodology is, how your theoretical background uh, of your uh, of your project is, is mounted. This is quite similar. So this is at least the same what, what we do back in Germany or in Central Europe as well. 
The international experience for you, how did that impact your professional career? Do you have something that you know maybe wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the international experience or you just professionally, you feel you really benefited from that additional international perspective? Definitely. I met a lot of people and started organizing research projects or conferences and especially the German Historical Institute in Washington with its Pacific Regional Office in Berkeley at UC Berkeley gave me so much input I wouldn't have if I would have stayed in Germany. So I'm now a affiliated scholar with the GHI in Washington and with Berkeley. I organize, for example, a historical blog. It's called Migrant Knowledge. And so this is a specific focal point I had uh, or could have developed if I simply would have stayed back in Germany. And again, many, many people I met, I'm still in contact with, and then you meet them again, and then you start talking about a joint publication. Your research is focused on migration. Migration is a huge topic globally, but especially in Germany, when you talk about migration and immigration, that's always a, a hard topic to talk about. And you can't talk about or you can not talk about World War II and the effects of it. And mm -hmm. especially now that we see what's happening in Germany and also the recent elections. What is your perspective on that? And also with now being familiar with the U.S. and Canadian systems and cultures? I would say basically we should calm down a little bit when it comes to... <laughs> oh, that's always that's always a good uh, advice. And I think we are on the, on the same page when it comes to that. And so when I look through the lens of history or when I look into at least the history of mankind, this is a feature that was always there. The history of mankind starts with migration when Homo sapiens started walking in East, East Africa. This is how this whole story of mankind starts. So when it comes to, to more recent debate, I mean, I know this discussions quite well back from Germany, of course. I already mentioned that I'm from Dresden. Dresden is sort of the center of right-wing populist movement right now, this anti-foreigner debates. I always told this people, look, simply start looking into your own family biographies, how many migration is already going on there. It's quite normal. So, and if we realize through this historical lens that is this is probably something that was going on all the time, we can talk a little bit more precisely how societies, politics should solve problems that are coming, of course, always that are kind of connected to migration. But again, I don't see big problems connected to migration and immigration. It's has been there all the time. You are outside of the country. And I know for myself, whenever there is something happening in Germany, then I'm the go-to person to ask to be asked for an opinion. So now that for you in particular, you're not only a German in Canada, but you're also an academic and specifically in the field of migration. So how are you approached and how do you communicate with, mm -hmm. well, academics, other academic students, but then also just anyone who asks you about, well, maybe Dresden and potentially developments in current German politics? Of course, people ask me so and they also want to discuss with me from a German perspective. I don't know what's going on in Europe and what's going on with, with Great Britain and Brexit and so on. So this is um, and all of a sudden you're the person who has to speak for everyone. <laughs> what I try to or how I uh, try to describe what what is going on since a couple of years in Germany, I always uh, tend to say Germany is not facing 
the so-called refugee crisis, it's facing an identity crisis. This is what the core of the debate is really going on. So Germany is a super rich country, one of the richest countries in the world. And of course, this country can handle people who are in need. This is what happens some years ago. Right now, the debate that is going on is about German identity, German borders, and if Germany is an immigration country or not. Another perspective I come with, I already mentioned this, I'm from the eastern part. And this is, I think, something that is still part of my biography, will always be, but also of my identity and what I see is still a division in Germany, also 30 years after uh, reunification. There are pretty much differences. And when you look on the map and the recent election results, you can see it, you can already see it. And this is probably also something we have to talk about or a problem we have to solve within the German society. When you say there are differences, and I have to say for, for myself too, I mean, I grew up in Berlin, but Eastern Berlin, and then I uh, had family also in Saxony. So I was more informed by that than mm -hmm. maybe others. And I was seven when the wall came down. So we're, mm -hmm. I guess, somewhat of the same age. And I, mm -hmm. I agree whenever I meet people, I don't really have to talk long. I just, there is this connection, which I don't know, maybe it sounds silly, but it, it just is. But for you, what do you see as the differences or the, the topics that need to be addressed to get Germany to more unified identity? One starting point is the entire transformation process after the reunification. And uh, many people in East Germany, my family was, was lucky. I simply have to say that many people in East Germany felt and still feel a lot of injustice that came with uh, this transformation process after the unification. Many lost their jobs, so about three million East Germans lost their jobs, and that meant they were forced to move on to get other jobs, mostly in the Western parts. And this is a sentiment that is still there. Uh, that people made the experience to be second-class people uh, within the same society, with, within the same country. And this is something politicians started to look into. This is what I saw the last years in Germany. There were a couple of lender on the federal level states in Germany that started own secretaries for integration and equality, but equality in a very broad sense. Also to look into, I don't know, pensions, wages and, and all those kind of things that are still pretty much different between the East and the West. But again, I think many people made a very unpleasant experience to be sort of also overruled by the Western part, by a public opinion that they had no voice, that they could not, they were not allowed to speak because they were from the East. So I think this is something that is still going on in the mind of especially an older generation. It might be a generation question. For me, this is not so much the issue. I mean, I grew up in the unified country but also in this process of a unified Europe without borders which is much more uh, connected to me and myself and which I'm much more worried about right now because I see that things I grew into are now change and, and they do not change for the good. I can really second that and especially it seems like because we're pretty much the same generation. I grew up in the unified Germany, but of course, within your family and the experiences and the, the views within your family, they didn't change. So I feel like our generation grew up 
right in the middle on the mm. one hand in unified Germany, but on the other with the family experiences and the family stories and the, the perception, then still with one leg almost in the former East. It is quite interesting. What do you tell your students? I remember when I taught German, I had a lot of students say, well, the, when the wall came down, everything was great. And then um, it, of course, and I wouldn't be here where I would be. And, exactly. and of course, it, I would never say like I wanted the, the wall back up. But just the reality of it was that a lot of things changed and very quickly. And as you said, like a lot of people from the East, they had their real fears because they may have lost their jobs and, and just a lot of change that they weren't prepared for and that no one addressed. Exactly. But This is also about knowledge, by the way. So yeah. it starts with doing your tax return. So yeah. every adult had to learn everything new, including talking to somebody like your boss, mm -hmm. how to behave. <laughs> so this is this is a weird situation for many of those people or has been. Does that ever come up with your students? And then how do you how do you convey that to your students that it's just much more complicated than just oh the wall came down and then everything was great? I tell them this is just, it, it's just more complicated. <laughs> so <laughs> last, last fall I taught here at Queen's a seminar, German history and documents and images. So it was a seminar about German, yeah, German history in the 1920s century. And of course we ended up after the reunification and we ended up with recent developments. And this is what I try to explain them, that it is simply not that easy that you have this reunification and then you have one Germany and this is the situation right now. So this is not what happened. And this is still an ongoing development also 30 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall. I organized here at Queen's, by the way, in uh, November, a symposium because of the 30th anniversary. And we had a panel discussion, which was quite interesting with a researcher. She's from Poland and another historian from my department. He's from Russia. And we discussed the last 30 years from those different approaches. It was, was uh, super interesting. But at least when I think about the questions that came up, of course, the most people asked, okay, what is going on in Germany? Is, is mm. this society really unified? Is this something I don't know? You like a switch on the light and everything is, is fine. No, it's not, that, it's not that easy. It's much more complicated. So then what did you say? Apart from it's more complicated and is Germany unified? Yes and no. It depends on where you are looking at. The answer to this question is connected to what kind of experience a person made after 1990. Mm -hmm. And for example, my parents, they never lost their jobs. Of course, they had also to learn or relearn how to do things because everything was organized quite in another way. Administration changed and tax system and so on. Um, money changed too. Yeah, yeah, money changed too and, and the products you can, you can buy and, and, and so on. And I think my parents had not that hard time than others had. And then this the, the answer to this question is much more different. A second thing that, that I, I always say when I was a student, I still think this is a generation topic. Mm -hmm. So yes, to my parents' generation, it always mattered where somebody was from. It made a, difference, made a difference if this person was from Munich, from the Western part, or from Leipzig, from the Eastern part. It made a difference how they, I don't know, what, what kind of opinion they already had about this person. And this is something that changed entirely in my generation. It doesn't matter to me. 
I agree. I the only so I mean studying at the Free University Berlin attracted really students from all over Germany, but then of course also Europe and other countries. But I remember really how we could tell that we were from other parts was just the language, and for us that was just really interesting. I had a friend from the former western part of Berlin, and just sometimes saying the clock and like dreiviertel, viertel, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. a quarter past and three quarters. That's something where you could tell quite easily and really confuse someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. But I mean, those are also regional differences. Yeah. I mean, of the most between north and south. Since you are intimately familiar with Germany, I always ask for recommendations for cities or places that are lesser known. I would highly recommend Görlitz. Um, mm. So Görlitz Gorzelitz is a divided city, divided after the Second World War, which is a so half part is German, half part is Polish, which is a very interesting situation. So where is that border if someone is not familiar with that? Is it just does it run through right through the city yes. or? Yeah, there's there's a river that divides the city and they decided the Potsdam agreement that this river will be the, the, the German-Polish border. I highly recommend it also because the old town of Görlitz, the Second World War didn't take place in Görlitz, so most parts of the old town are still there. It's just a beautiful city and that's why, and this is probably interesting yeah. also for people from North America, that's why many movie companies from the US especially went there and do their movies. Movies like uh, Krang Hotel Budapest, mm -hmm. I was accidentally in Görlitz when Quentin Tarantino was in town and made Inglorious Bastards and people... So you were actually there when, when he <laughs> <Yes>. filmed? <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> do you have a fun story to tell or do you, did you just find um, out yes, that it was there? It is at you... least a fun story. So I was very active in organizing cultural exchange projects between Eastern Europe and Germany when I was a student and also when I was a PhD student, especially for artists from White Russia, from Belarus and the Ukraine. So artists, musicians that uh, had a, a really hard time to do their work and uh, their art in this specific country. And we had two photographers from Belarus in Görlitz and the exhibition opening took place at this very evening and then we found out that the entire city uh, or inner city is on a lockdown and nobody could make it to the gallery because oh. Quentin Tarantino was in town. At the same time, I mean, this is also an, another perspective on, on history. The younger 20th century history, especially when it comes to the Second World War, is kind of different when you talk to somebody from Belarus, right? Yeah. So where the Germans attacked and uh, many Jewish communities were killed and, and dissolved a very hard story. And then at the same time, you have these two guys from Belarus in, in the gallery and outside in the streets are Nazi soldiers shooting. And they were first looking at me and say, well, what, what is going on in front of the gallery? And then I said, okay, yeah, that's the German-Polish border, but I've, I was just making fun. And then they were really excited when I told them, okay, I, I heard that Tarantino is in. And then they were, <laughs> they were totally fine that nobody showed up <laughs> at the exhibition opening because they had their highlight. <laughs> Yeah, it must have been, especially potentially for some older folks who weren't aware of the movie, that must have been a really bizarre yes. and yes. frightening kind of flashback. I uh, I cannot 
imagine. I mean, yeah. knowing Quentin Tarantino and knowing uh, what movies are about, is I'm familiar with that. But I mean, if you have someone from the older generation, and I assume there are still quite a few of those, I can imagine that must have been quite disorienting and frightening. Definitely, definitely. So this is a very specific situation. But again, this is not the real reason why to go to Görlitz, but probably some people who weren't in Görlitz before will have the imagination that they were there before because they know parts of the inner city and specific houses that were used in this kind of movies that were uh, that are produced there. And there are now, I'm not, <laughs> I didn't come up with that, but are you familiar with, with the word Görlywood? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, that, that is what people call the city. But it's also an interesting city because of this, you know, two parts and this very specific situation. You can walk across the river over a bridge and there is no control, no border control, and you simply enter Poland within the same city. <laughs> so it's a very unique place. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, how would one get in touch with you? Um... The internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the easiest way. You can Google my name, S-W-E-N, and then Steinberg. I'm at Queen's University. I think there is no other Sven Steinberg at Queen's University. And there you will find my uh, my email address, S-W-E-N.Steinberg at queensu.ca. Yeah, uh, of course, get in touch with me. I'm also a research ambassador, so I am sort of this liaison person if, if somebody's interested in getting more in information about how to get to Germany and what to do there. You heard Coffee Connections with Sven Steinberg, postdoctoral fellow at Queen's University in Canada. All content is created and edited by me, Honeygeist. Did you spend time in Germany as a student, intern, or researcher, or for any other reason? Send an email to podcast at deity.org and be my next coffee connection. I'm recording this in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic that affects so many families. So stay safe and healthy. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.